All right, here we go. If you have your Bibles, grab them. John chapter 8. So I will be. And we're going to do something a little different. As you get to your seat, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did, they said to him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but, my fa- but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word... He will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and so he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine with me for a moment 
you are a slave in the Confederate South, living in a shack off the back of the property, being regularly beaten, regularly forced to do labor against your will, regularly forced to do things you don't want to do. And every night you lay in whatever sort of bed you might have, plotting your escape, plotting your freedom. You think about where the guards might be and how you might get around them. You think about uh, how you would uh, trick the dogs so that the dogs wouldn't chase you down and tackle you and bite you and that you might escape them. You think about where is the Underground Railroad, Railroad and how you might find it and get to it and make it to the north. And you lay in that bed and you plot and you think and then finally the opportunity comes and you take your chance because you would rather live free die and so you take your chance you go you you uh, you get out of the house you get past the guards and you hit the woods and you run like you've never ran before and then you hear it you hear the sound of the dogs barking and you hear the sounds of shotguns blasting in the air and you hear the sounds of your master yelling for you to come back or else but you run you continue to run you jump over fallen trees, you, you hear the rustling in the ground, you run, the dogs are barking, they're close, but you run because you believe that if you could only make it to the Underground Railroad, you will be saved, you will be free. Free at last, free at last, oh thank God I'm free at last. Freedom. People run for freedom. People have written speeches to inspire freedom. Wars have been fought for freedom. Governments overthrown for freedom. Our country, in fact, all of Western civilization is founded on the idea of freedom. We love freedom. We will fight for freedom. We will stand proud for freedom. Everyone wants to be free. We want to be like Mel Gibson and paint our faces and charge into battle and yell, freedom! And yet... We are not free. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think it is that virtually every religion in the world, every religion in the world agrees on all of the same virtues and morality? Why is it that whether you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Taoist or anything else, that everyone agrees that you should love your neighbor as yourself? Everyone agrees you shouldn't lie. Everyone agrees you shouldn't murder. Everyone agrees that you should be kind. Why is it that virtually even people who aren't religious agree with those things, that you should treat people well, you should be kind, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't commit adultery? Everyone agrees with those things, and yet we don't live by them. Why does virtually everyone think lying is wrong and yet we all lie? What is it about the human condition that we can know exactly what we're supposed to do and we can know the consequences if we don't do that thing and yet we still do the wrong thing? What's the deal? You see, we sit here in the freest society in the history of the world. We are by all accounts free. But the Bible tells us that we are actually free. The opposite. Not only are we not free, but in fact, we are slaves. Jesus tells the crowd in our story this morning, he says, the truth will set you free. And their immediate response is a little confusing. They say, but we're children of Abraham. 
we've never been enslaved. It's a weird comment because as an Israelite, of all people, they would have known what it was like to be a slave. I mean, look back in their history when they were, they were slaves in Egypt, 400 years until God rescued a part of the Red Sea and sent them out. They were, they, and after they became a, a nation, Babylon came in and took them out, brought them at home back to, to Babylon as exiles, as political exiles and as slaves. And what's really ironic is in this very moment that these people are responding to Jesus, we've never been slaves. They are literally under Roman occupation and control. They are no longer a sovereign country, but a Roman territory. They were political captives and political slaves to Rome. The people of Israel knew what it meant to be a slave. But the thing that they never quite understood, the thing that uh, and throughout all of their history that God was trying to shove down their throat, trying to show them that they never quite really understood that whether they were individually slaves or politically slaves, that their physical slavery was but an arrow pointing. That their physical slavery was but a sign showing them that there was a deeper problem, a deeper issue, that they were actually spiritually slaves. This is the point Jesus is trying to get across in verse 34. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that would be the whole world. That would be everyone who has ever been born is then therefore a slave to sin. But the problem's worse because... When I tell you that you're a slave to sin, every one of our reactions as we think about that is, no, I'm not. I'm not a slave to sin. I sin sometimes, but I'm not a slave to it. We have this notion in our minds that we're free, and yet all the while we are obeying our slave master's voice, and we are happy to do so. See, the the problem is that we're slaves and sometimes don't even know it is the worst kind of slave. A slave who is a slave and doesn't know he's a slave. Jesus in this passage doesn't hold back any punches. He really goes after them and he not only tells them that they're slaves to sin, but he tells them that the reason they're slaves to sin is because they follow their father, the devil, in verse 44. You want to talk about making people mad. I mean, this ticks them off and they so much so that they pick up rocks and are ready to, to kill him right then and there because he says this. He tells them they're enslaved to sins and that uh, the devil is their father, their master, and they obey his voice. Why is Jesus saying that? What is his point? You see, his whole point is this. Sin is not simply an action we take. Sin is actually a power over us. Sin is not simply things that we do that we shouldn't. Sin is actually a power over us us that enslaves us to be a slave is to be by definition powerless it is to be under the power and control and the commands of another and you need to understand this important distinction when it comes to our sin we are not you and i are not sinners because we sin rather we sin because we're sinners i'm gonna say that again a little differently to help you We sin because we are sinners, not 
We are sinners because we sin. And that's an important distinction. It's not as if when we turned three or four years old and we committed our first sin, that at that point in our life, we became a sinner. In fact, it is the exact opposite. The reason that we ever did commit a sin, the reason that we ever sin is because at a root deep inside of us level, it is in our nature that we are sinners. And there is no part of us no square inch in all of your mind, soul, or body that is unaffected or broken by the power of sin. Our minds, our hearts, our wills are all under the domain and power of sin. We're enslaved to it. And that sounds pretty depressing. And so this morning, I want to show you three ways, three ways in which our slavery to sin reveals itself in our lives, like what it looks like. And then I want to show you Ironically enough, three ways to set you free. One, sin destroys your heart through a longing for more. See, it always begins the same way. There is this need in your life. You have some need that you think you have that will satisfy some part of you. There's something in your life you think, if I had that, I'd be happy. If I could do that, it would make everything okay. A need for rest, a need for attention, a need for power, a need for love, a need for comfort, a need for security, a need for affection, a need for money, some sort of need. And it's at that moment where you have this need, you hear the whisper in your heart, the whisper that shows you how you can finally get the thing you feel like you need, the thing that you feel like will make you happy. And if you get this, you'll be okay. And even if it's something that you know you shouldn't do, something you've told other people not to do, still the whisper gets louder and louder in your heart and you begin to want that thing. The whisper says to you, no one will find out. The whisper says, you deserve this. You've worked so hard. It says it'll be worth the risk. The biggest lie of all, it says, just this once, just one time, just one bite, and it'll be enough. And we give in and we taste that forbidden fruit. You know what I'm talking about? It is the whisper that says, you know what? You've had a bad day. It's been a rough day at work. And so when you get home, if you need to unload on your spouse and just blow up on them, it'll make you feel better. You'll get that off your chest. And you know what? They'll forgive you anyway and we'll be okay by tomorrow. It is the whisper that says, go ahead, pull up that website, look at those pictures just this once. It is the whisper that says, you know what, it's not really gossip because, you know, this other person really does need to know what's going on. It just so happens to make me feel better about myself. It is the whisper that says, what's one more drink? I work so hard, it's been a rough day, it's been a rough year. You know what, I do deserve some rest and relaxation. I deserve another round. And without ever realizing it, we become a slave. I know some of you are saying, Brent, one little slip up, one little mistake does not make me a slave to that thing. Just because I, I, I'm a sinner and I mess up sometimes and I do the wrong things and I make one little mistake, it doesn't mean that now I'm an enslaved to that thing. But it never is just one bite, is it? It never is just one time. 
It never is just I'll do it one time and that'll be it because once you do it, its claws are in you. And then the whispers continue the next day, promising to fulfill you, promising to give you what you need. And so what was just one mistake that you said will never happen again ends up happening again and again and again. And the problem is, the problem is the feeling that it gave you that first time, that kind of relief, that kind of satisfaction, that kind of, yeah, that felt good. That, the problem is the high it gave you, that momentary satisfaction is gone and you want it again. But each time you want it, it gets harder and harder and harder to reach that high again. What satisfied you enough today won't be enough tomorrow. You will need more tomorrow to get you there. What seemingly brought you joy today won't tomorrow. Instead, you will grow numb toward it and build up a tolerance. You see, at first you might say, I just need one bite. But eventually, you could have your sin of choice running out of your ears and it not be enough. When I was in high school, uh, y'all will find this funny. When I was in high school, cell phones were just becoming popular. And um, I remember uh, getting my first one. It was one of those flip ones. Y'all remember that? It flipped up. And it only had one camera on it, right? There was no front-facing camera, so you could see how you were taking your selfie. It only had a camera on the back. So if you wanted to take a selfie, you had to reach out and kind of guess where, you know, your face was. Take it and look and go, oh, my gosh, I completely missed. I got like half my face. And you have to do it again, all right, until you could get it just right. Well, I had a friend in high school, uh, this girl, who I remember watching her one day take selfies at the fair. We were at the fair, and she was taking selfies. And, I mean, she must have taken 50 of them until she got the right one. I mean, she must have taken 50 until she got her, her, the right side with her hair the right way and her eyes looking the right way and her smile looking perfect. And when she finally got the most perfect, you know, best selfie, she could finally post it to her MySpace page. Do y'all know what that is? Y'all ever heard of that? She didn't know it yet, but she was a slave to her self-image. Her image and how others saw her was her master. It controlled her. It commanded her, and she had no idea because she was just posting a selfie and wanted to look good. Eventually, it's moved past selfies. It wanted more. The, the sin craved more, and so selfies and the likes or whatever on, on MySpace wasn't enough, and so eventually she stopped eating lunch at school because she wanted to lose a little bit of weight. And when that wasn't enough, she began to make herself throw up. When even she would eat a little, a little snack, some, some goldfish or something, she'd make herself throw it up because it's too many calories, because she needed to lose more weight. You see, what seemingly started out as innocent, the taking of a perfectly good selfie to look good online, to get other people to notice you, to, to want to think she was beautiful, became an idol and a sin in her life that was destroying her health, making her, causing her, be, so trying to be beautiful, it caused her to do the opposite. She was so skinny, she looked sick. It enslaved her. The sin that promised her beauty left her so skinny, she looked sick. And the acidic nature of her, of her vomit caused her front two teeth to rot out. Sin enslaves us and it destroys our hearts because it makes us love something 
It makes us love the sin, and the sin never loves us back. And even though it costs us more and more to get less and less in turn, we gladly obey because deep down we love it. And we believe that our master, our sin, knows best. It destroys our hearts through wanting more and more and more. But two, it destroys your mind. See, the first way that we see where we're slaves is it destroys our hearts through making us want more. But second, it destroys our mind. If you have ever confronted an addict over their addiction, you know how difficult of a conversation that is. Because as soon as you tell an addict you have a problem, what do they say? They say, it's not a problem. I can quit anytime I want. I can quit anytime I want. It's not a problem. And in their own mind, the problem is they believe it. They believe they're in control, and instead of ever quitting their addiction, they rationalize it and justify why they do it. They say to themselves, I'm only going to do it for a little while, and I'll stop. You know, it just helps me get through the day. I just need this. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anyone else, so get off my back. They live in denial that their addiction is hurting them. They live in denial that they have control over it. They believe they're in control, but in reality, they're slaves. Addiction destroys the mind because you can't even see the, the, the behavior has changed. You can't see the way you're making excuses for your behavior. You can't see the way it's changing you. And this is not just true of addicts. It is true of every one of us who sins, all of us, because sin is addictive, When we give in to sin, it gets its claws deep inside of us, and we begin to make excuses and deny uh, that it's a problem. We believe we're in control. We rationalize. We justify. We get to a place where we cannot think objectively about our sin. It deceives us. We can't see how our sin is destroying our own lives or think we're in control when really it's our master. Your cravings make you think whatever uh, whatever you need to keep Whatever you need to do, keep doing it. The man addicted to pornography believes that he'll never get caught. He thinks it's no big deal. I mean, he thinks, you know what, I'm not actually having a real affair, so this isn't that big of a deal. Sin has a power over you. It's your master, and it never wants you to leave. It wants you to stay. And so it works denial in your heart, denial that it's hurting you, denial of the consequences, because it never wants you to leave. What sin is actually doing is making you think that you are in the driver's seat when actually you're in the trunk. It destroys your mind. There's no more perfect example than in Lord of the Rings, praise God, uh, when Frodo, who has the ring, you know, there's this evil ring that he's got to take to a volcano across the world to throw it in and destroy it. And he wears that ring on a necklace around his neck, but because it's evil, it begins to warp his mind and warp his heart. And there's this creature that's with him named Gollum, this, this hideous creature, right? And Sam, his best friend's with him, helping him all along this journey. And the way the ring begins to warp his mind, he begins to think that Gollum, this hideous creature, is on his side. And that it's his Sam, his best friend. All he wants to do is take the ring away from him. He's plotting against him because it's my ring. It's my precious. When in reality, the hideous monster is the one who really wants it. And he can't see the truth because it's warped his mind. Sin does the exact same thing. 
It's mine. Who, don't tell me what to do. You don't know my life. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know what I'm going through. It's not hurting anyone else. You don't understand. It's mine. Don't touch it. It's my precious. And it warps your mind. You don't see how it hurts you and those around you. You can't see reality. So one, destroys our hearts through making us long for more. Two, it destroys our minds so we cannot see what sin is actually doing. And three, it destroys our will to fight. See, you never realize how much a slave you are to something until you try to say no. Try this in your life on regular things. Recently, I've tried to uh, give up soda. And you would be amazed Some of you have done this, but I don't know. For me, you would be amazed at how my soul longs for a drop of the holy nectar of Mountain Dew. I mean, I try to say no, and it's just like, drink me, drink me. And it's like so good, I want it so bad. You realize really quickly how enslaved you are to something when you try to deny yourself something. The great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards says it this way, sin turns the heart into a fire and there's never been a fire that said enough fuel, I'm satisfied. And in the same way, there has never been a heart that said, I've had enough, enough success, I've had enough love, I've had enough approval, I've had enough comfort. Sin makes you need more and it warps your heart and makes you deny and it warps your mind and then it makes you, it warps your will and never wants to be denied. And when you, here's how you know it has you. Here's how you know you're like in stage five of slavery to the sin. When you are trying to escape the distress in your life that the sin has caused, when a sin causes a certain distress in your life, the way you try to escape it is by going back to the sin that caused it. When you do that, you know it has you. You know you're a slave when the way you deal with the problems your sin causes is by going back to them. I can remember what my dumbfounded look on my face must have looked like when I saw my great-grandmother, who had just been diagnosed with lung cancer from smoking since she was eight years old, be at home with oxygen in her nose smoking. I'm understanding right that she has lung cancer, right? Okay. My 10-year-old self couldn't fathom understanding it. It is the reason you find the same people over and over and over again buying lottery tickets in the gas station, buying scratch-offs, not just on a whim because they're fun to play sometimes, not just, oh, we will do this every now and again, but in there with desperation. I can't pay my power bill. And so instead of saving money to pay my power bill, I'll play the Powerball. I didn't plan that, but that worked well. When you return to the thing that caused the problem in your life, you know it has its claws in you. When getting the lottery tickets is what caused you to have no money to feed your family, and you think your only way out is to get more lottery tickets, you know you got a problem. You know sin is your master and you're a slave. Sin takes your heart captive, your mind captive, and your will captive. You see, lying necessitates more lies. You gotta lie to keep up the original lie, and so you lie more. You lie so much until the lying becomes so natural to you that the lie begins to feel like the truth. 
But you see, when you told the first lie, you still had an appetite for the truth. But as you continue to lie, it goes away and becomes your master. You see, sin, all sin, is a power that wants to control you. It is a fire inside of you that wants more and more fuel. It's like this. It's, it's, it's like sin is an acorn, right? Think about this with me. Sin is an acorn in your life. And when it was an acorn, it would have been easy to pick it up and go, you know what, I don't need that, and throw it away. But you don't. You say, you know what, it's just an acorn. It ain't hurting anybody. No one cares. No one sees this acorn. It's not a big deal. It's just me and my acorn. Get off my acorn. Nobody even sees it. And then because you ignore it, because it's not a big deal, that acorn falls into the ground and it begins to sprout. And then it's a little sapling. And you say, you know what? It's just a little sapling of a sin. It's no big deal. You know what? No, don't worry about my sapling. Y'all got your own saplings. That's not a big deal. And you think, you know what? I can manage the sapling. It ain't a big deal. I'll take care of it. And then you live your life and you turn around and you look and that sapling has grown into this mighty oak tree. And you go, uh-oh, I got a problem. And what was once easy to pick up that acorn and throw it away, now you got to get some, get a, an axe or a chainsaw to chop down this thing. But then at that point you say, I can't do anything about this thing. It's way too big. I can't chop that thing down. I'll just, and you just manage it. You try to deal with it. But then it begins to grow its own acorns. And they fall. And then they sprout more saplings and more trees. And before you know it, the sin that started out as a little bitty acorn that you could have kicked away, you said, you know what, it's not a big deal. And now you have a forest of giant oak trees of sin in your life, and you're in trouble. That's the way sin works. If you think you're not a slave, you're fooling yourself. It becomes our master like that. It destroys our heart, it destroys our minds, and it destroys our wills. It makes you long for more, it deceives you to thinking wrongly, and it destroys your will to fight. It never wants you to leave. So what do we do? How do we get free? Time for some good news, amen? Here's the mistake we always make. You say, yeah, Brent, I want to be free of this. I want to be free of this addiction. I want to be free of whatever sin you know, is in your life. And we think, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna puff out my chest. I'm gonna be strong and I'm gonna own it. No, you're not. You think, you know what? I'm strong enough. I'll have, I'll be, I'll have strength of mind and heart and will and I'll turn and I'll stop this. And we think that we have the willpower to, uh, to slap ourselves on the hand and say, no, I'll, I'll work harder. I'll try harder and I'll stop it. I'll, I'll uproot this mighty oak tree in my life. We think we can free ourselves and break our own chains and slay our own sin and be free of it, but let me clear, be clear, that will never work. You will fail again and again and again until you just give up. You cannot do this on your own. There are three things in your life you need to overcome your slavery or sin. One, you need the sun to set you free. Verse 34 Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, only Jesus has the power to break the chains of sin in your life. When Jesus died on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, he secured victory for you. 
You can't get freedom from running or from fighting. You can't get freedom through your own effort. To get free, first, you must look to the Son. You must look to the finished work on the cross. And the only way you can do that is to bow your knees in glad submission to him as your new master. You need a master like him, a master who doesn't demand your life from you, but gives up his life freely instead. See, Jesus is the only master who doesn't enslave, but forgives. He's the only master whose mercies are new every morning. He is the only master who invites you into the house and asks you to stay. So if you want freedom, you must submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. You must, what we say, get saved. You must bow your knees to him as king, which is in and of itself a declaration of war against your sin. When you bow to Jesus, he will break your chains. But second, you got to do what the people in our story couldn't do. Over and over again, Jesus tells them that they can't understand his word, that they can't hear his word. If you want to defeat the slaving power of sin in your life, you must abide in his word. Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and the truth will set you free. The word abide, we don't use that word. What does that mean? It means to continue or persevere. It means to keep going. See, if you want to be free, you must immerse yourself in, the, in, in who God is, in his word. You must worship and adore and take hold of and be near to him. You must abide in him and in his word. Because only when God, only when the, the fire of God replaces the burning fire of sin in your heart, will you be free. You say, Brent, I've tried it. Brent, I've opened my Bible. You know, I've struggled with this thing and I open my Bible and I think, okay, I'll read the Bible and I read the Bible and I come away and it doesn't help me. I don't know what to do because I open the Bible and I read it. It doesn't help me. But do you know what that's like to open the Bible one time and to think it's going to help you? It's like this. It's like saying, hey, honey, on Tuesday from 8 to 8.30, I want to get together and have a little date time. And I want you to pour out all of your hopes and fears and anxieties to me. And then I will hold you together and I'll say, we'll get through this together. It doesn't work. I've tried it. If you want to have quality time with your spouse... You can't say, okay, from Tuesday, from 8 to 8.30, come and pour out your heart to me and we'll make it, we'll make it better. If you want to have quality time, you've got to have lots and lots and lots of quantity time. And then the quality moments will just happen naturally. And the same is true for God. If you want to have the quality moments where God, where, where you're reading the Bible and you're weeping, where, where a truth that you have read before, a verse you've read before, it hits you in a new way and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so good. And it begins to set you free. It begins to change your heart. You're just not going to open the Bible one time and go, oh, there it is. You've got to have lots and lots and lots of quantity time with the Lord. And then the quality times will begin to happen. You'll read a verse and you'll weep and you'll say, God, you are so good. And it will change you. You want to defeat the slaving power of sin? You have to abide in his word. You have to, be, you have to know Christ and let him set, break the chains, and you've got to abide with him and his word. You need the son to set you free. You need to abide in his words, and finally, you can't walk alone. The reason we all gather together in this room every week is because you can't do this by yourself, because none of us can do this by ourselves. We need to link arms together. The person that says, you know what, I have the power, I can stop sinning on my own, actually has no power. And the one that says, I have no power to do this, 
is actually beginning to get the power they need to change. You see, fighting sin is a war. It is a, it is a battle, and we don't go into battle alone. You need to have someone in your life whom you can confess your failures to, and they don't judge you and look down at you, but rather they lift your head and say, remember Christ. Your sin's been paid for. Let's get up and let's walk. You need someone who is going to be there to remind you of forgiveness, who is going to pick you up and if need to, carry you. Because you can't do this alone. You need biblical community. Do you want to be free? Well, freedom can be yours. Freedom can be yours, but only as a child of God. Here's your hope. You can't break the chains of sin in your heart, your mind, or your will alone. You need the one who had never sinned, the one who was never a slave, the one who was perfect and yet was killed and treated like a slave for you. You need the one who was never a slave to sin yet was killed like a slave to set you free and break your chains. You need him, you need to abide in him and in his word, and you need the church, you need people. And then you'll be free. When Jesus is your Lord, your King, and your Master, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that can be you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning And there is not a person sitting in this room who is unaffected by sin. Every one of us have been in shackles, have been slaves. Every one of us, even who are believers in this room, are constantly fighting and battling sin. And we become slaves to other sins again and again and again. And it is only through the power of a crucified and risen Christ that those chains can be broken. And so, God, there's two people in this room. There's one, there's a person in this room who is, who is a slave to sin and who has never had their chains broken, who has never believed on Christ, who, who is a slave to their passions, and who is, who is doing all of those things. They need more and more and more. Their mind is warped. They can't see the truth. And their will is defeated. God, this morning we pray you would break the chains in their heart. We pray you would open their eyes to see the truth that's right in front of them and help them to come this morning and find hope and freedom that has been fought for for them. The battle has been won for them and it's theirs. If that's you this morning, I want you to come and experience life-giving freedom that Jesus offers you. But two, there's some of us in this room, almost all of us in this room, And there are vices in our life. There are sins in our life. And they are secret and they are scary. And they started out as acorns and they grew to saplings and they're oak trees in our life. And we've got this big thing sticking out of our eye, this big oak tree, and we don't know what to do with it. We can't cut it down. And you can't, but you can do it together with someone else. God, this morning, if there are are, uh, chains around these people where there are enslaved themselves to sin. It's hard because they still love the thing they're slaved to. God, would you break the chain? Would you break the chain and give them freedom? Would you give them victory? This morning, would you help them to have the confidence to come and maybe just pray up here, come to one of us and just say, I need to confess something, here it is. Or just come confess it to you. I'm not a priest. Just come up here and confess it to you and say, God, break this chain in my life. 
Help me to abide in your word and give me some friend that will help me to cut down this tree, this forest before it kills me, before it destroys me and destroys my family, destroys my life. If that's you this morning. I know it's hard because you love the thing and it's so scary, but come chop it down. Come chop the tree down and be free. Because who the sun sets free is not maybe free. Who the sun sets free is not hopefully free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And Jesus, we need you to set us free. Through the power of a resurrected king. In whose name we pray and all his people said.